What's up, guys? It's Eric. It must be nice to have your best feature be so prominent. My best feature is my hands. That's why I play the ukulele. It gets your hands right out there, you know? Hey, guys, this is Joe. I can save a life if my life depends on it. The staff at the Lifesavers Crisis Hotline wishes all of our callers, the Lifesavers, peace on Earth. Somebody's not in the holiday mood, I guess. <laughs> Goodwill toward men. In all of your calls, has anybody impaled themselves? No. Oh. And joy to the world. I'm at the end of my rope, and I want to die. Try clicking the little button. I'm having a problem hearing you. Click it, please. Go ahead. Mixed Nuts, rated PG-13, at theaters December 21st. You're listening to Worth the Lead Fee, the podcast where two former video rental clerks watch movies that they may have recommended at one time to see if they still think that the film would be worth keeping an extra day or two to watch again, even if it meant paying a late fee. How you doing, Joe? Not bad, Eric. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We were just talking before we started recording, but I've had like this horrible chest cold thing for the past week and actually a little over a week i've been tested for covid twice well twice by someone else and then once i'm showing this to joe you can't see it on the podcast an at-home test but not i'm covid negative so that's good which i thought i would be but you know in these times you just have can't be too safe so but um it's it's been rough for my voice so if my voice dies out halfway through the podcast that's that's a fair warning it's on it's on you joe i'll just, um, I'll just play grave jelly by adam sandler in the background to close okay it out. That'll, yeah <laughs> yeah the only good thing about that is i've been going to practice less and watching tv more so um I've been a few things to talk about brie and i watched um this true crime netflix series it's called catching killers if you're a true crime fan it's i i highly recommend it it's only a four-part series so that's good if you're like hesitant because it's it's a, it's a quick watch, but it stinks when you're done because you're like, wow, that was so good. I wanted it to be more. Um, and then uh, it's also been a while since I've promoted the Wonder Years reboot. Have you been keeping up with the show? Or I have. I watched the first like four or five episodes, four episodes, I think. And I, just, I had to get caught up because I really did enjoy what I watched. So you may be pretty much caught up because they've had like they've been in this streak now where they like took a week off went back on, took a week off. But tomorrow is the Christmas episode. So you of all people, you got to watch it. So yeah, I get caught up. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then I've also been killing Christmas Pandora music. Nice. I, yeah. Yeah. I figured something out. I wanted to tell you. And what I figured out is that I love Christmas from like the week before Thanksgiving to Thanksgiving. You start hearing some Christmas songs. Some people say it's a little too early, but I like it. And then every year I'm like, Maybe this is the year that I, I fall back in love with Christmas. And then Black Friday happens. Everyone's driving like a-holes and yelling at people in Walmart. And I'm like, oh, I hate life again. But the, yeah. the music, though, the Christmas music is The music awesome. is the best part of the season, without a doubt. It's just super relaxing. I don't know what it is. Like, I can have some stress out work days, but driving home and listening to Christmas music just really calms me down. I love it. Yep. And it's, I don't remember if I've ever said this on the podcast, but one thing that's super funny about me is I didn't grow up um like christian or anything or any organized religion and i can listen to a christmas song where they're straight up saying like they might as well be like jesus 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 and i'm like i love this song yeah. even though i have no idea like i because because it's just so like you said especially if it's like an older version from like sinatra or dean martin or 
stuff like that. Bing Crosby, Nat King Cole. But anyway, what about you? What have you been watching, listening to? So we've, we've, we've recorded about two weeks now. So since then, I've seen my brother and I have been like getting tickets for movies when they're like starting to die out a little bit. So we have like a nice road ourselves. So we don't have to like worry about like, you know, because it's still a pandemic. So like I want to support the theaters, but I also don't want to get sick and die. So <laughs> um, I've seen Ghostbusters, um, French Dispatch. I've watched um, the South Park COVID special on Paramount Plus on Thanksgiving How was night. that? How was that? It was pretty funny. It was they typical making fun of people who don't believe in COVID, don't believe in wearing a mask, Science. don't believe in the vaccine. So it's pretty funny. Like the whole thing is he has a medical condition, one of the guys, and they say he's shellfish. So they keep on that's like an ongoing <laughs> show. So things like that are pretty good. And I actually started watching <laughs> Pushing Daisies again because your brother messaged me um, about like this bar in uh, Korea that reminded me of Pushing Daisies. And I'm like, man, like I miss that show. So I started watching nice. the first few episodes of Pushing Daisies again. So nice. I've been, I've, yeah, I've been, I've been kept busy with the uh, movies and TV shows lately. Uh, another show that's coming back tomorrow, actually, that I'm pretty excited for is uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That you, you made me think of it when uh, you mentioned like the making fun of people that are you know, a little off. And what I love about Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and I have I have friends that are are this. It's always sunny in Philadelphia will make fun of stupid people in a way that stupid people laugh because they <laughs> right. they think they get the joke because they're like, Yeah, like that guy's right. But really what the show's doing is making fun of you for having that opinion. You know what I mean? So yep. uh but anyway, um so you guys heard the trailer, and I'll let Joe tell you what we're talking about today. But before he gets into it, I didn't even ask if Joe's drinking anything, but uh, I'm going to be drinking Harpoon Brewery's Winter Warmer. Love this beer. I look forward to it every year. I was going to drink like a shitty Christmas beer that will remain nameless, but I needed a more reliable beer for this one. So I'm going with uh, Harpoon's Winter Warmer. I'm actually going to be drinking uh, in a little bit just because uh, I'm not working tomorrow, so I can just, like, relax after. You, Eric brought me by uh, four Christmas beers. So I'm going to drink uh, one of the Sam Adams tonight, I think. Nice. That's so, a reliable one. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called now. It used to be called White Christmas. Now it's called, like... Winter something, right? White Winter yeah. something. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah. So, you guys heard the trailer. You heard our quotes. The movie is uh, Mixed Nuts. It's starring Steve Martin from 1994. It was Joe's pick, so I'll let him explain uh, why he picked it. So yeah, I, it's a Christmas, a Christmas movie written and directed by Nora Ephron starring Steve Martin that I've never seen before. So I actually just, I've, I've heard about this movie a couple of times in the past, forgot about it, as I'm sure like a lot of people did because it's really not talked about around the holidays, unfortunately. Um, but I figured it was time to finally check this one out despite some of the uh, critical backlash it received. And uh, speaking of that, well, actually, so I guess... Is it safe to say you don't really? What is your memory of the film? Like, is it just you heard? I it? have no no memory whatsoever. My no recollection of anything about this film. Literally, not even the poster. So I went into this completely blind. I didn't watch the trailer before I watched before I seen this movie. So I went. You didn't blind. watch the trailer. I didn't. Nope. Yeah, I, I went didn't to this either. completely blind. Yeah. So I not only did I you at least having heard of it from other people. That's way more than me. I I had no idea this movie existed at all. I'd never heard of it. And this is the second Steve Martin one that you have picked that I was completely unaware of. Yeah. So um, yeah, I got nothing. So you mentioned the critical response. Do you have any stats as far as how it did financially? 
I do. So Mixed Nuts came out on December 21st, 1994 and had a budget of $20 million, making $6.8 million in the box office. Wow. So where, yeah. Where did $20 million go I know. in this movie? Holy. Maybe the actors. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So that's that's it. W- so it was $20 million budget and it made 6.4? 6.8 million. Oh, so <laughs> that's if you've ever heard of it, that's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah they it buried was, it. It was based on a French movie that came out in 1982. Then I'm not even going to try and tempt a name. Yeah, I, I saw that and I was like, I tried rehearsing it and I was like, no, I tried even YouTubing like someone mentioned the name so I can like you know copy myself, but nope, no luck. Um. It was written by both Nora Ephron and Delia Ephron, who are sisters and have written six movies together, including You've Got Mail and Michael, which we've mentioned in the past a couple of times. I've, I don't know how it gets brought up so many times, but it's been a few times. I think it's, I Michael. Think it's uh, whenever we talk about Travolta. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. Yep. And it was directed by Nora Ephron herself. So lots of talent involved with this movie. All right. So financially didn't do too well. Critically may have done worse so <laughs> five 5.5 5 out of 10 on imdb that's not i mean that's average that's respectable yeah. for yeah. you know 10 percent on rotten tomatoes ouch one and a half stars from mr ebert definitely not a fan <laughs> excuse me he says uh, this is a quote from his review leaving the movie i felt sort of drained the way you get when you smile politely for hours in the enforced company of strangers, in the enforced company of strangers, madmen, and bores, you know. So Ebert wasn't he wasn't mincing anything. He's he didn't like it. wasn't impressed. Um, <clears throat> you said you said this came out in was it uh, December of ninety four? Yes. All right. So that month in film, not bad. A few movies that came out: Cobb, the movie that starred Tommy Lee Jones, about Ty Cobb. Legends of the Fall, Dumb and Dumber. Street Fighter, uh, the Jungle Book live action movie from Disney, and Richie Rich starring Macaulay Culkin. <clears throat> so, me, you know, not yeah, the not best, bad. not the worst. Um, outside of film, Tupac was convicted of sexual assault, sentenced to four and a half years. Howard Stern talked, which I thought this was fitting for the movie. Howard Stern talked a man out of suicide on air. Oh, wow. um, I, I never knew that. Yep. That's pretty cool. And then, yeah, yeah. Howard Stern's a weird character, man. Like he's definitely rough around the edges and he has said and done things that have, you know, ruffled some feathers and I'm sure some things that maybe he regrets, but he does seem like deep down, he's a decent dude. You may not agree with him on everything. And like I said, he's not the most PC guy sometimes, but anyway, um, Whitey Bulger flees Boston and goes on the lamb and he was on the lamb for like 20 years or something. So good for him. Well, not really, but I mean, <laughs> good for him. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's about it. Uh, do you have anything for, or do you have the back of the DVD summary? Just give people, uh, I'm interested to see how they sum this up. Because, oh, boy. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. All right. So, Philip manages a suicide prevention hotline called Lifesavers, assisted by Miss Munchnik and Catherine. On Christmas Eve, Philip learns that their landlord is evicting them from their office. Amid all of this unrest, Catherine proclaims her love for Philip. And when a transvestite and a pregnant woman enter into the equation, things get even more interesting. That's actually pretty good. I, I kind of wish that I read that before I watched the movie because I'll get into it later, but I, it took me a little bit to figure out like what the hell was going on. Yeah. So, I mean, I would get some of it, but 
anyway, so some of the, the the cast members and and how they were doing going into the movie. So Steve Martin, the main character, Philip, um, and I kind of mentioned this before, but Steve Martin has done a lot of movies, but not the most. Like he doesn't he he doesn't have many years where he does like two or three movies. So that said. We have done some Steve Martin movies on the pod, and none of them are the ones that he's known for. So the ones that most people know him for that we haven't done, uh, The Jerk, Three Amigos, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, one that we did do, My Blue Heaven, thanks a lot, Joe, uh, Parenthood, Father of the Bride, uh, Pink Panther, Bowfinger, thanks again, Joe, and, and much more. But a real comedy legend, and we've said it before when we talked about his movies, he has his own style, so I think even his great movies, there are probably some people that are just like, nah, I don't really get it. But yeah, I mean, you can't really deny that the guy's a genius. So Madeline Kahn is the office manager of Blanche, one of Mel Brooks' go-tos, uh, known for What's Up, Doc, Young Frankenstein, High Anxiety, History of the World Part One. She had Academy Award nominations for Paper Moon and for Blazing Saddles. Super talented. I believe um, she was the only one who got nominated for this movie too for any award. What did she get nominated for this? I didn't even see it, that. It wasn't it wasn't an Academy or anything. It was um I forgot what, weird. what award it was. Uh, American Comedy, weird. I think, or something like that. So. I, I found her pretty mediocre in this movie. Uh, all the nice stuff I said about her, and she's a legend, and she's unfortunately she died of, of cancer in '99. But yeah, no, this she, movie she this movie she was <laughs> underused, which was one of my complaints. Okay, so yeah, she had all those you know the Mel Brooks films, some other films. Um, also, some TV work, including uh, O Madeline, uh, Mr. President, New York, New York News, and The Cosby Show. Um, Rita Wilson. So, didn't see this coming, but three Hanks family movies in a row. If you think about it, so we did Colin, Tom, and now this. Now Rita. She, I thought she was great. She's just one of those. She's one of those faces, man. Where you're just like, I like that lady. Like she just, I don't know. Uh, you know her from Sleepers in Seattle, That Thing You Do, Jingle All the Way. Story of Us, <laughs> Runaway Bride, and some other ones, but yeah, she she was she was good. I thought. Um, Lee Schreiber, my favorite character in the movie. This was his big screen debut. He was awesome. You know him from. It's so weird watching this now. This is like knowing that this is his first movie because you're like, how did they? Who saw this guy? And it, I don't know. It's, it's it's so different from what you. No yeah, and, now. He, and he almost looks like a pro. Like he just comes on, like so natural. Like it looks like he's been acting since, like you know, he was younger, coming on like that. No joke. Some of the best acting, the best acting in the movie. Like that scene where he's on the couch with Adam Sandler. So for, for if you know if you haven't seen the film, he plays what they call in the film a transvestite. That's I don't know what. I'm not being funny. I don't know what if that's the politically correct term now. It's probably not, but that's what they call it in the film. And so he's on this couch, kind of like having like almost like a flirty scene with Adam Sandler. And his mannerisms and everything, he looks like a 22-year-old girl. Like the way he's just the the way he's moving and stuff, it was I was blown away. I, and and yeah, in fact, was... this is his first movie. Yeah, he was great in this movie. He was definitely, like you said, one of the highlights for sure. Yeah. So, but like, bef- the, you probably know him more for Scream, Ransom, uh, Some of All Fears, Manchurian Candidate, X Men Origins, uh, Wolverine. 
Goon, which I, I love. I was going to say, I was going to give a Goon shout out Yeah, that movie. Love that movie. Spotlight, and then the Showtime series, Ray Donovan, which people have, are very big fans of recently. Adam Sandler as Louie, who spends a lot of time with Lee Shriver's character. Adam Sandler in this movie alternates between being a likable character when he's not playing the mandolin and an obnoxious character when he's doing like the guitar playing funny voice thing that was the first like five years of Sandler's career. And looking at his filmography, I may have said this when we've mentioned it before, but I can't think of a career that's caused more debate than Adam Sandler's because there are a lot of people who worshipped him in the mid-90s and hate him now. I can't, like I can find movies that I like and dislike in the early part of his career and the later part of his career, but some people are just like, he should always be Billy Madison, he should always be Happy Gilmore, but like we said. Then it comes out with like movies like Spanglish and Punch Drunk Love and Uncut Gems. It's like, maybe he should be doing this instead. (laughs) Right, right. Well, and you can't be 50 years old like laying on a float like him and Billy Madison putting smiley faces with suntan lotion on your stomach. So yeah, some of his some of his movies, Coneheads, Airheads, uh, Mixed Nuts, Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, Wedding Singer, Dirty Work, Waterboy, Big Daddy, Little Nicky, Punch Trunk Love, Mr. Deeds, Eight Crazy Nights, uh, Fifty First Dates, Spanglish, Click, Rain Over Me, Funny People, Grown Ups, Uncut Gems, like you mentioned. Um, quite the career, really. And you can be a happy Gilmore fan and say that's your favorite movie or, or Billy Madison or whatever, but you got to respect the the longevity and the ability to switch it up and still be successful. Yeah, absolutely. The guy really doesn't have made like he's just like at this point he's like everyone knows and makes this conclusion that he's at this point just making movies with his friends now and like what a career, what a life he's having. He's just enjoying himself with Netflix and that giant long term deal, hanging out with his friends every time. And yep. so Good yeah, goes him. him. Good for him. Yeah. Um, then a couple more I wanted to mention, uh, Anthony LaPaglia, LaPaglia, I don't know if I'm saying that right. You, you know him from Empire Records. He's also in Autumn in New York and uh, the series Without a Trace. And he was also in Fraser. He plays Felix. Uh, and then Juliet Lewis, uh, National Influence, Christmas Vacation, Cape, v- Cape Fear, uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Natural Born Killers, Strange Days, From Dust Till Dawn, The Other Sister, and, and quite a few more. She's had a pretty impressive career. And then without getting into detail on these other people, just some other cameos. Uh, pretty famous comedian in the 80s, maybe 90s, Stephen Wright, uh, John Stewart, Parker Posey, Haley Joel Osment. So um, there's a lot of like, you know, you just look up and you're like, hey, that's that guy or that's that girl. And then also like like you mentioned earlier, Rob, uh, Rob Reiner, uh, Robert Klein, Gary Shandling. So there's there's quite a few people quite a few faces in this movie so yeah i didn't see i mentioned the, like the trivia that hey joe at the end there as a kid like i didn't yep. see that at all posted i'm like that was definitely him yeah it was yeah and he, he just all he does is point up to uh felix when he's on the roof pretty much <laughs> he's in the movie for like a second but um would you have down for random facts the more you know stuff i had two um the first one i have is director nor efron is the voice of the los angeles times automated phone responder in the film and Liev Schreiber's theatrical film debut. His first credited role was in Janik, The Sound of Betrayal, which came out in 94, which premiered on television the day before this movie opened in theaters. Quite the week. Yeah. For him. So uh, I had a couple. One of them you already attempted. Remake of the French comedy film 
Le Père Noël est une ardeur. I don't know if that, that's my best my best shot Sounds from good. 1982. Yeah, we're going with it. So <laughs> I'm not French, but I'm going to do. Um, and then uh, Miss Munchnik, Madeline Kahn's character in the film, she reads an issue of Distress Magazine in Santa Claus is a Stinker from 1982, another film. The suicide prevention hotline was called SOS Distress. So that's, oh, uh, yeah, all tie in. And then lastly, this is so weird. And I think the movie would have done better, <coughs> excuse me, if this was the case, but like financially, but I would have hated it. Chris Farley was originally offered the role of Chris. So um, leave Shriver's character, but he turned it down. What are your thoughts? Yeah, like you said, it would have done better. Again, they like SNL group together again with Adam Sandler and Farley and, you know, bringing Martin involved. But like you said, Liev Schreiber, like despite this movie not being great financially, he was without a doubt one of the best parts about this movie. He was awesome. And, and before watching it, if you told me that I thought for a comedy kind of role that Liev Schreiber would do it better than Chris Farley, especially in 94, I probably wouldn't have seen that coming. But uh yeah, he killed it. He was awesome. He was my favorite part of the movie, like I said. Yeah. Um, I'll start off and you can add on as far as things that not in this millennium. So <clears throat> there's two, two things, really. One, it's you have to tiptoe around a little bit more stuff with suicide. So that's one. And, and, and Steve Martin's character, like Joe said, he runs a suicide hotline. So, But that said, this is pretty clearly a comp. So I think they could get away with it, and they don't—they don't ever really laugh at anyone, other than the Stephen Wright thing when he like calls in and um, she asks him to click the phone because she's like, she's like, you're losing service, and so she's like, click it, and then he shoots himself, and then Steve Martin says, he says something like, oh, if he's really upset, they'll call back, and they sit there in awkward silence for like 30 yeah. seconds. That was that was pretty funny, but so I think they could get away with that, and then the other thing that they would definitely have to <clears throat> I'll just say it would be handled differently is the character of Chris and the like I said they call him a transvestite I if that's not the PC term I apologize but uh that said I actually think it's one of those weird things where they kind of laugh at it a little bit but then it's almost forward thinking too in that they make some jokes about it but he's kind of just part of the movie and you know it's so, I don't know. What about you? Did I miss no, anything? Or? I pretty much completely agree with you. Just said that with your two, um, what you said about the two different things there. And like you said, with the whole plot of the movie as a running a suicide hotline, it's not like you said they're they're making fun of people. Like they they're generally trying to help these people. Like they keep count of people they save. Like they tally it. So it's like they they want to keep that going. And even despite there are some scenes when there's chaos happening, they're all stressed out. But Steve Martin or someone else will still answer that phone and try and help the person on the other end. So it's like, like you said, it's definitely would be handled maybe a little differently in this day and age, but it's not like a movie that I don't think would completely raise do. red flags, right? right? Like, I think, like, there are certain things you change, but, you know, the plot would still be there. It could still be there in 2021. Another thing that I, I liked, and, and this is the only time I really got Steve Martin vibes and, like, a hint of the genius of Steve Martin is like little things like, like I said, when the whole, like, if he, if it's important or if it's really upset, they'll call back <clears throat> or like every time he took a call on the suicide hotline, Steve Martin 
before he picked up the phone, he took a second to write to like log the call in his notebook. Yes. So like, obviously that's funny because you're, you're to believe that there's someone on the other line who's like on the edge and they're about to lose it. And rather than like have any like sense of urgency, right. Steve Martin takes a second. He's like, all right, they're called at 807 and he writes it's in right his notebook. The books. Yes. Yeah. So the only time <clears throat> that that's another thing that I didn't like about the movie, I didn't make a note of this, but as I'm saying, and I'm thinking of it is, Steve Martin was only really seemed like Steve Martin doing the suicide hotline job to me. So I, it sounds weird to think to say that you wish there was more suicide hotline scenes, but I kind of do. So um, what did you have down for your favorite scene? Um, I wrote through a couple of like different uh, random scenes now. So the entire third act, I thought rang around for the dead body as they're all like all together as a group with this body that's disguised as a tree. And just the, from the recruitment of them all, he's like, okay, we have to, can't raise any, you know, can't raise any eyebrows, can't, gotta be kind of cool about this. And they all end up going anyways. And then they meet with Miss Munchnik along the way. And then to the um, heartfelt, despite everything that's happened in this movie, the closing act, which was a really nice little speech from Steve Martin. And that's gonna bring up one of my complaints in a second, where that scene was really good, I thought. Um, and then I do think that you get really close to these characters in the beginning. I didn't really like them in all honesty. They were, they seem very cold hearted, but as you kind of learn their, get used to their chaotic behavior, I really did kind of grow close to everyone, including dummy Felix for whatever reason. I don't know what it was, but you, I really did start to feel with these characters and whether it's the actors in their job or how they're written, but I really enjoyed them as a group. I enjoyed most of them. There are a few that I wasn't too fond or a couple that I wasn't too fond of but um yeah so my favorite scenes I have two the first one so I think there are two types of like great scenes in most Christmas movies one is something that's just pure entertainment whether it's just hilarious or it's an action scene whatever scenes that make you laugh or smile or just get excited two awesome Christmas moments like heartwarming stuff and this film didn't really do that well for me which um makes me like what i was kind of looking for when i was thinking of my favorite scene is something that was just entertaining entertainment and so like i've said a few times leaf schreiber was my favorite part of this movie so the leaf schreiber steve martin dance scene i love that scene because it was just like total commitment and like at first steve martin's like standing and he's like sticking his ass out because he doesn't want to be too close to him and <laughs> <clears throat> I love that. That made me laugh. And then runner up again, Chris um, played by Lee Schreiber when he gets spoiler alert, he gets shot in the foot and he's acting like from the way he's acting, you would think that his foot was blown off. Like he lost his foot and he goes in the other room and Adam Sandler is like, here, let me check it out. And he pulls off his boot and it looks like a mild scrape. Like it looks like he, I don't even know how to describe it. It looks like he just scraped his foot against something. And he's being so dramatic about it. And if my wife Bree listens to the podcast, she knows what I'm about to say, but it totally reminded me of her. She does not have the highest pain tolerance and she can be a little bit dramatic. So I was just able to relate to Adam Sandler's character. I actually, I actually love that. I, I almost picked that scene, the whole one Adam Sandler was with um, Chris, because <clears throat> Adam Sandler, like you said, but we, we met, you touched on briefly before is he's kind of like an, a dumb character, but he cares for this person. Yeah. You know, at, in the end, like he's comforting Chris at a moment where Chris feels like 
you know, if no one read that at that moment, like which is the message of the Sui, which I'll get to in a second, my thoughts on that. But yeah, it's a really cool scene between the two of them. And that's what I mean about how you can, how they may have handled it differently, but at the same time as it was nice is that, so Chris's character is, you know, he, they would handle it differently a little bit, but at the same time, it was cool that Adam Sandler's character, Louie, was just like friendly with him. And Whatever. Like, yeah. It wasn't it, right. So anyway, soundtrack. This is uh, Joe's part, so I'll let him do the talking. I don't know what to say about this, but I liked both the score and the license track for this one, which for license for license tracks part of it, it really can't it's really tough to mess that up for a Christmas film. Um the score is composed by Gary Fenn, which uh which he really does add a little bit of an impact towards the final scene specifically. His score really does come through. Um he's been involved with many films such as Groundhog Day, The Fisher King, You've Got Mail, I Danielle Blake, and most recently The Duke. The licensed soundtrack is great and even throws in some not as popular songs, I guess you could say, such as The Night Before Christmas by Carly Simon, which I really enjoy, and the classic Grape Jelly by Adam Sandler. Um, I agree. I like the soundtrack a lot. I thought it was the best part of the movie. And due to the fact, one thing I was thinking of, and you can tell me what you think, Joe. Do you... I... You're, you start if you're making a Christmas movie and you set the setting is somewhere warm like L.A. or wherever you're you're starting in a hole for me like you're starting right. because it just it's I not agree. the same it's not the same so due to the fact that it's set in California the only thing that really reminded me that it was a Christmas movie a lot of times was the music playing in the background yeah it's not like a, a New York City movie where they're like walking down the streets and there's all these lights up and like beautiful snow and whatever. Like sometimes you can almost forget that it was a Christmas movie. So the soundtrack was huge. Um, for if you could change one thing, this might kind of go against one of the things you just said, but I don't know if this would just be a casting change, a writing change or both, but the characters of Gracie played by Juliette Lewis and Felix played by Anthony LaPaglia I, I know parts of their story were needed to advance the plot, but I just didn't, I could never really get into them. I didn't really enjoy anything that they did. That's not all on the actors, Lewis and Lepagli, because I think the characters kind of just sucked the way they were written. <clears throat> but I also, I also don't think it was the actor's best work. Like I'm going to focus more on Juliet Lewis just because she's got more of an impressive resume. Like she was nominated for Academy Award for Cape Fear, for example. And in this movie, she there were just some scenes where I'm like, "You're a better actress than that." Like I, I don't know, it it didn't impress me. And then other characters like Chris, like I've said a million times, when he first comes on, you're like, "How am I going to take this guy seriously? Like, what's going on?" And he turned out awesome. And even Adam Sandler's character, Louis, was up and down, like I said earlier, but he had nice scenes. And Catherine, played by Rita Wilson, was was likable, but Gracie and Felix were just not my favorite. So. I don't know what the answer is, but if I could do anything about it, I would somehow, like, I don't know, tweak them or recast them. Yeah, they were, but I, I hate them, but they were the weakest part of the group for sure because I guess they just added more cast and didn't really have any heartfelt moments, which takes you away from them a little bit more while all the other characters have, they have a moment together or with someone else. But I can see where, you know, you, you might not like those characters because they were the worst of the group, in my opinion. But I still didn't hate them, hate them. Um, and Lepaglia, so Felix, the other thing real quick is 
they did a thing where like if you're supposed to be rough around the edges you almost have like a new york accent sort of thing and it's like you're like oh i'm an italian guy from the east coast and i don't know i was just like it's it's it seemed lazy but anyway go ahead yeah the forest airing uh, yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. um so i thought the movie shined when they were together and chaos was happening i think it took a little too long to get to that point where the film while you know you learn you get used to the characters i think it takes a little too long to get them all together in the same setting um but at the same time i guess i don't know if i'd want too much of that because it might get exhausting like roger ebert said but I do really wish they pushed the closing message a bit more early on. So you, the movie, you learn like later on that all these characters have something in common where they're lonely or they don't have someone to spend Christmas with. And I really wish they kind of pushed that message more towards the end instead of just having it be like a closing speech to kind of force it um, with the audience. That would have been a really cool message if they really like tacked it on and spread it early, like seeds around in the beginning of the movie, I thought. Because that's something that people can relate to. Sometimes Christmas yeah. is a depressing time because they're lonely and it would be really cool to kind of push that a little more i thought and to kind of follow up on what we were just saying a minute ago because of a few things you were getting no christmas vibes from this at all like it was just like yeah felix was wearing a santa outfit and there was a tree that started the whole you know was right at the beginning of the movie but you didn't get any of the warm and fuzzy stuff from christmas it didn't look like christmas so yeah i agree that's a good good call yeah, and then the last thing I mentioned was um, just some. There's just a lot of side stories that take place, like the ongoing fruitcake gag, which is just there up a rep- little bow nicely at the end of the movie. It's like we don't need stuff like that. You could have just got yeah. done with like a lot of the side gags and just have the story focused on characters. But yep, no, I, yeah. I agree. Um, yeah, so this is a this is a weird one. <laughs> yeah, know. it is. But, it was, this was tough to review. I kept going. I, I don't. I kept going back and forth for sure with this one. So if you listen to the podcast before, you know that this is where we, we give our scores on what we think of the movie. We rate movies on a scale of one to five. <clears throat> Excuse me. Would you mind paying Leafy to keep this movie? So a score of one is you get five minutes into it. There's the incident where they crash into a Christmas tree and you're like, this is stupid. I don't watch California Christmas movies. <laughs> and you turn it off all the way up to a five, which is I'm going to keep it an extra day or two or three so my friends can see it. Maybe even I just buy it from the rental store. So this was uh, Joe's pick, so I'm going to go first. And this one was kind of a, a a swing and miss for me. There were there were brief moments where I could see the potential and, <clears throat> you know, the potential that any Steve Martin movie brings, like when Steve Martin takes a second to log the call time earlier, like stuff like that. It was, But <clears throat> they were kind of few and far between, and uh, I got about halfway through it, and I wasn't getting it. So I actually started it over because I was like, Maybe I'm not giving enough attention and I missed something or I missed some messaging and that, that wasn't it. I, I, even the second time through, I, I just didn't get it. I love Steve Martin, great cast, some solid cameos. I just didn't really care for this one. The best parts of it though, to agree with you on one thing, like when they're trying to undo, when they're trying to get out of that jam that they're in all together the best parts of it seemed like a bad version of clue. And I mean that as a compliment, like it was not clue, but I could see what they were trying to do, but a horrible way to start the Christmas season, Joe, (laughs) Uh, 2.25 out of five. Okay. Okay. I feel like I'm going to be a little more than that. (laughs) 
it was a, to be clear it was two it was a two out of five but i love lee schreiber so much in this movie i was <laughs> yeah, like i can't pick up, you'll pick up the bring us back a little yeah. bit hopefully yeah so my closest is actually very close to yours my score um i thought the cast you know i thought it was a solid cast of we had a lot of great cameos leo schreiber is great in his theatrical movie debut here it's he was awesome steve Martin was great M. Stanley was had some great moments but there's just a lot happening and i feel like if things maybe they got together like i mentioned a little earlier in the film where they're all together because that's where the film i thought was better than when they're a single characters trying just to you know make ends meet basically the biggest problem is while it's marketed as a comedy i didn't really find it funny too often there were a couple of scenes that i laughed at which you know they were they were really good um i think if this movie pushed the idea uh, or the theme with it's okay belonging on christmas like we were that was hinted multiple times throughout i think it would have been a lot better i think it would have had a more clear message and it might have had a little more heart towards the end too because of that um the ending was great i thought because they kind of solidify the fact that that is okay. And if they only sprinkled a little more throughout, I think this movie would have been a lot more memorable because we don't have a lot of movies that focus on the idea of being lonely on Christmas time. Everything is usually happy and family and, you know, togetherness, but that isn't always the case. And I really, really do wish they pushed that a little bit more throughout this film. I think it would have made it a lot better and a lot more memorable, I guess. But yeah, my score is very close to yours, and I give it a two point seven five. That's fair. So that's fair. Definitely not a Christmas classic, but it wasn't <laughs> no. the worst film either. No, it wasn't the worst. That's true. Um, so follow us. And, oh, the beer was awesome, by the way. Harpoon Winter Warmer. It's always good. Um, so if you have access to that, I actually the only thing I regret is I bought. I went to one. Uh, uh, another not the place I usually go. I went to another one and I got just two bottles of it because it was another place where you can buy individuals. And I, I bought two. I should have bought more, but uh, I'll get it. I'll get a twelve pack or something soon. So Harpoon Winter Warmer, delicious. Follow us on Instagram, worth a late fee. If you have a suggestion, please send it in. Uh, that's those are always welcome. We'll be back next week, and we're gonna. This is this is Joe's pick here, so this next one's my pick. Now, I had a few movies in mind. And Joe and I will get into this more in a couple weeks or maybe even next week, but there are going to be some changes to the podcast in 2022. Nothing too major, I don't think, but we felt like we needed to tweak it a little bit and narrow in on some things. So because of one of those changes, there is one Christmas movie that we won't really be able, won't really be available for me to pick next year. So I want to get it out of the way, but I want to say to Joe first, my other Christmas pick. So the other one is one that I think you really like that said, my first Christmas pick is another California Christmas movie. It centers around a heroic police officer named John McClane. Okay. <laughs> Some say it's the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Five, five out of five, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to talk about Die Hard. I'm all for it. Yes. Awesome. All right. <laughs> well, thank you guys very much for listening. And we'll be back next week with Die Hard. All right. As always, everyone. Thank you.